This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. We're doing all right? Uh, that was kind of convincing-ish, somewhat. Um, I'm going to assume that as a yes, and if not, that's okay. That's okay. That's all right, too. Um, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors. If we haven't met, I'd love to get a chance to, to meet you later. Um, we're going to eventually get to Mark chapter 4 and Luke 10, if you want to even go ahead and jump ahead and kind of mark the spot. Um, but I want to recap again uh, where we've been what we're talking about here. Um, you have been created on purpose for a purpose. There is a reason that you exist. You are not just a collision of protons and neutrons and, and et cetera that happen to form a human being. You are intricate. Did I say the wrong word? Are those, are those, okay, I haven't, I haven't been in school in a long time, right? And so it's like, that was good? Okay, the science people are like, yo, you're great. Um, we're not just like happen to show up here by some cosmic chance, right? But we're created on purpose for a purpose, and our purpose is to be in loving relationship with God and to then give that love to the world around us. So God's original design, the fullness of life that he had in mind for us was for us, the world, to join into the divine communion that is God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That we are to be in a loving relationship with him, and that is the fullness of life. And then from that, we then give that love to the world around us in the same way that God has chosen to give his love to us. Right? That is God's design for us, and we do that as we abide in Jesus. The word abide comes from the, the word abode, right? To make our home with, to connect to, to remain in connection with Jesus. That is how we have this relationship with God that he created for us to be. And the great news is that this is available to us, right? Like, the, like I don't think Jesus misspoke. I think he really meant what he said when he said, I came that they would have abundant life and have it to the full. I think Jesus really means for us to live today in the fullness of life. And as much as we can physically think that means, God's like, come on, we're just getting started. Like, there's so much more for us to have in communion with God. So how do we abide with Jesus, right? How do we have that connection with God? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that it's actually not about what we do, but it's about what Jesus has done for us. That, that abiding with God is not about what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. So if we go to the next slide on there, right, we see that that relationship we had with God has been fractured and broken, not because God broke it, but because we sinned. Right, God in his generous love creates us, gives us this relationship with him, and we're like, hey, thanks but no thanks. I've got my own plans in mind, right? That looks pretty good to me, so I'm gonna chase after that. I'll catch you later. And what we do is we fracture that relationship with God that we were created to have, but God is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love. Right, he's overflowing in mercy and love, and his love is so incredible that he chooses to pursue us. The ones that walked away, the ones that betrayed him, the ones that are actively hostile towards him, Colossians says, he in love pursues us. And so Jesus, in humility, leaves heaven and comes and lives on earth in our place, right? So next slide here, we see we broke that relationship, but Jesus left heaven and came and lived in our place. 
the perfect righteous expectation that you and I were supposed to live, Jesus did it in our place because we fell short. He left his rightful place in heaven and he came and lived in our place. And then next we see that Jesus died in our place. Right, the gospel tells us that something has to pay for our sins. We have a debt against God, a spiritual debt. For God to be just, that debt has to be paid for. Jesus paid the debt of our sin in our place. He died in our place. But then Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Because what good is a dead savior? How does Jesus, if he's dead, offer us new life. You don't offer someone new life if you're dead, but Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is alive today and able then to offer us the forgiveness of sins and new life with God. Jesus has come and done everything needed for us to be rejoined, to connect with God again. So how do we have that relationship with God? How do we have this new life with God that we were supposed to have in the beginning that we broke, but Jesus came to fix? Faith. The, the answer that we talked about last week is faith. It's, it's simply trusting that Jesus has already done this. And when we trust him, not just believe in Jesus, even, not even just believe, okay, yeah, Jesus lived, died, and rose again, but when we trust him and say, Jesus, the only way I'm rejoined to you is by faith in you, I surrender everything, I lay everything down, there's nothing I will hold on to for myself. When we trust in him, his spirit comes and indwells us and supernaturally connects us back into an eternal relationship with God. That is the gospel. That is how we are connected back into the vine, back into the tree. Remember Branchy, that the, the branch broke off from Susie? It's funny, like we have Susie at the house and literally she's called Susie all the time, right? Branchy, I, I mean, my kids are like, where's Branchy, right? Like we were, so Branchy, that branch is broken off from Susie. And yet, the incredible thing is that a branch can be grafted back into a tree. That when you cut slits in a tree, you can put a branch back into those slits. And by the cuts, that branch can be rejoined into the tree. And by the cuts of Jesus, we can be regrafted back into a relationship with God. We can be rejoined into the source of life that is God. And that happens when we trust Jesus. And we have faith in him. But Robert, put that last slide back up there again. Faith not only joins us into a relationship, it's then faith that keeps us, that, that causes us to remain, right? That every day we have a choice. Every moment we have a choice. Will we believe that Jesus is the way and that his ways are better? Right, when we have the opportunity to think toxic thoughts that will pollute our mind and then our actions, are we gonna choose, nope, Jesus is better, I will think about those things. We're gonna talk about that next week, the battle of the mind, right? When we have a choice to, to do things, to act in certain ways with people that don't bear the name of Jesus, we have a choice. Will I believe that his way is better or will I believe that this fleeting pleasure of sin is better? Right, it comes down to faith. Everything we're talking about today, everything we talk about next week, right, all of this, Man, you can learn the Bible backwards and forwards. You can come to church every Sunday. We can even know what all this means. But if we don't believe Jesus is better, we won't do it. 
It comes down to, do we actually believe that when Jesus says, abide in me for apart from me, you can do nothing? Like, do we actually believe what Jesus is telling us? Because if we don't, there's gonna be eight billion reasons for us to not abide, and man, we are way too easily distracted and we'll just start grabbing onto him. Do you trust him and that his ways are better? Galatians 2.20 is, is a verse that talks about this ongoing faith. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? That's that faith aspect. I am dead to myself. I trust and follow Jesus. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If you're looking for, for a verse to memorize, I recommend Galatians 2.20 just reminds us, oh my gosh, God, you love me so much that you gave yourself up for me and now by faith I trust you and I follow you. The life I live today, I live in faith that you are the way and you are better. Do we trust him? That is a choice that you and I get to make. Do you trust him? So now let's move into a little more tangible. Let's move into a little more practical right? What are the obstacles? What are the enemies that are going to seek to steal our faith, right? Because it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust, right? What are those things that are going to come and seek to, to move our focus off of Jesus onto something else? Next week, we're going to talk about our thoughts, our mind, because good gracious, this is a war, just a battleground right here. But one of the things that I think keeps us from abiding in Jesus is a distraction and preoccupation with doing and getting more of lesser things. One of the primary things that keeps us from abiding in Jesus is that we are so distracted and preoccupied with doing more and gaining more of this world that we lose focus and we lose time and attention on Jesus. Corey Ten Boom, um, it's a great name. Um, yes, Corey can also be a woman's name. Um, I went to India once with our pastor. It was just me and him, this is like 10 years ago. And, um, and we show up and they got us one hotel room because they thought that I was our pastor's wife. Because in India, apparently Corey is a predominantly feminine name. Um, and so we walk up out of the airport and you can see them, they, they go, and they start talking. And like, so we had the hotel room for one night and then with the, the queen bed. It was great. Um, I was like, hey, I'm new to this job, but we're going to get to know each other really well right now. Um, so anyways, uh, Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll entice you to be busy. Both have the same effect. They cut you off from your connection to God, other people, and even your own soul. Robert, let's just let that linger and sit for a second. One of the primary reasons we don't abide in Jesus is that we are distracted and preoccupied and busy outside of our minds. That we just don't have space or time. I'm reading this book with our college leadership team, uh, John Mark Homer, I call him JMC because that's a lot of words and syllables. Um, wrote this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's also a long book title, um, it's fine. 
But uh, so I, I've got some quotes from here. Some, this is out in the lobby. If you're interested in this, it's a great, it's a great read. But he, he was talking with his therapist and he was like, hey, I want to really focus our church on just being sold out to the ways of Jesus, like following, act, actually following Jesus. And his therapist said this, John, the number one problem you will face is time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. Hey, John, you want to lead your church to really know and follow Jesus? The biggest enemy you will have is time because people have none of it. Because we have filled our lives up with lesser things. You've probably seen this illustration before. Um, it's it's uh, started in the, the business leadership world. Um, but we're going to go ahead and do it here because I'm a visual learner. Right? So we've got these jars that represent us. Right? Like, these are people, and this is the amount of time we have. Look, you and I, we all are equal in the sense that we all have the same amount of time every single day. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. I don't know how many minutes. That's too much math, right? But we all have the same amount, right? And so that is a, a resource that we don't get to grab more of or less of. But what we do get to do is decide what we put into our time. We get to make that choice. And so what you have here, right? is the sand represents just the small, really seemingly insignificant minor things in our life, right? Social media, TV, video games, right? Things like that that aren't, aren't necessarily bad. They're not necessarily sinful, right? But they can, they can really fill up our, our days. Then we've got these pebbles, right? The pebbles are bigger, more important, um, but still, right? Oh, I think I have a hole. No, I'm good. But, but still not the most important things, right? So we've got stuff on here like household chores, right? running errands, um, volunteering with schools or other even Christian organizations, homework. Don't get any ideas. It's still important, right? But it's not the most important thing. Then you've got the, the big rocks, right? These are the, these are the big things in life, the things that matter most, right? So you've got your inconsequential, tiny Minutia, things like that. Then you've got your, your more important things, but still not the ultimate. Then you've got your most important, right? Time with God, time with family, mental, physical health, work, generosity, right? Those are the, the big things. Now, the aim of the devil and what we often fall t into is that our lives just, man, we just start pouring in these little things. A little bit here, a little bit there. You know, I'm gonna watch one Netflix show here, one Netflix show there. Next thing you know, five hours have passed, and we're like, I don't know what happened, right? We've just filled it up, you know? Video games. There's studies that say apparently, oh, what's the age? That by like 21, like, that some boys have spent 10,000 hours on video games. People say that you can be an expert in something at 10,000 hours. We're experts in video games, apparently, right? So we throw these things in. They're not necessarily bad, but we're putting those in first. And then we're like, oh my gosh, time is running out. I've got chores to do. I've got to clean up, right? I've got to do my homework. I've got to study for class. I've got to go volunteer over there. And we put in, the, you know, these things that are still good. They're still important, right? And we start adding those in. And then we're like, oh my gosh, the big things, right? And we're like, where? I got to start cramming this stuff in, right? And so we start cramming in the, the big things in life. And, and what we're finding almost immediately is we're, we're pressing past our limit. We're, we're like, this, this is not going to, to go well, right? This is not going to fit. So we still have the, the big things in life get crowded out because we've filled up our days 
Not necessarily with bad things, but with lesser things, less important things, and we're running out of room. But Jesus tells us that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all of these things will be added to us. Right, so if we go in here and we start putting in the most important things first, right? Let's put these bad boys in here. Then we can move on to, still important, I'm gonna see if we can do this without. Right, these things are still, they still matter. Give a little shake. crazy, right? The, the time management of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you, right? When we, when we put in what matters most, when we start with the greater things, honestly, some of these lesser things are like, I don't even care about anymore, but even if we still did, they still fit, Like Jesus tells us, all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about this stuff. Start with what matters most. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. The other way, right, like the way that the devil wants us to live, by by just putting in all of these lesser things, they're not sinful, but they're lesser, we, we find ourselves rushed and hurried and trying to cram in these most important things, and, and life is not meant to live this way. We're gonna find ourselves not abiding in Jesus. Because let's be honest, there's always something to fill up the time. Always something. I'll do this later. There's always something that fills in later. 11 out of 10 times. And so the invitation of God is to put first the most important things and all these things will be added to you. The temptation of the devil is to, as Corey Tim Boone said, entice you to be busy. Because if we can't just outright sin, we'll be so busy with lesser things that we'll cut ourselves off from the ability to connect with God and others and even ourselves. Now, we're not here to, you know, just listen to, you know, business time management illustration or what other people have said. So let's see what Jesus says, right? Mark chapter four. In Mark chapter four, Jesus is telling a parable, a story, um, and he's illustrating why some people abide in him and why some people don't. And so he tells a story of a farmer who's planting seeds. And he's throwing these seeds. The seed is the word of God. It's illustrative of the word of God. He's throwing this seed, he's planting the seed in four different types of soil. And the soils are representative of people and their different circumstances in life. And Jesus' point is that some, some, the seed, the word of God, it roots in some soil and not in other soil. It abides in some soil, 
but not in other soil. Well, why, Jesus? Why does it abide in some and not in the other? Mark chapter 4, let's start with verse 20, and then we'll go backwards. But those that were sown on the good soil, the seed, the word of God that was planted in the good soil, are the ones who hear the word, accept it, trust it, let it sink into their lives. They believe it to be true, and they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So the good soil, this is the fourth soil, are those people who hear the word of God and they go, I believe this word is true and I trust it. And the word Jesus sinks down deeply and sets roots and they produce fruit and they grow throughout their life. So now let's look back and let's look at the first three types of soil. So we'll go back to verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown into them. Right? So the first one is the seed is sown on the path. Right? You throw seed onto a path and it just bounces off. Right? It, it hits this hardened surface and it doesn't sink deep. Right? So these are people that when we speak of Jesus, man, it's just like it's fighting words. Man, it just bounces right off and there's nothing happening there. There's no interest. It's not receiving it at all. And it just bounces right off. The second type of seed, of, of soil. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. So these are people who hear the word of God and they receive it. They like it. They're excited about it. I mean, they're like, yes, I'm in, right? We start to maybe see some, some fruit, but they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So these are people, we all know someone like this, that they hear the word and they're like, I'm in, but then life gets hard. Rocks start hitting them. Man, it's suffering starts to account, and they're like, I'm out. This, this Jesus didn't come through for me. God wasn't who he said he was for me. I'm out. The next one, and this is, these are the words of Jesus. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The third type of soil are people who hear the word. I mean, they go to church, they're around Christians, they hear the word, but ultimately there's no room for the word to abide because they are consumed by cares of the world. They've bought the lie, the deceit that riches of this world are what matters most. Their life is filled with, with thorns that push out the space for the word to set roots. Jesus himself is saying that there are people who they don't abide in Jesus because their life is concerned with cares of, with getting more things that don't even last to the end of life, much less go to the next life. And when we're consumed with getting stuff, we've got no room or even energy to abide in Jesus. And so Jesus is telling us exactly what this illustrates. That when we are consumed, when we're filled up by cares of this world, by loving this world, we're gonna find that we don't have room for the greater things, the more important things. And thus, we don't actually abide we don't abide 
Let's go to another story. Luke chapter 10. This one's a little different, right? This one's not so much trying to get more things. This is someone doing more things. So busy, so active, doing even good things that they, she crowds out space for the greater, most important things. So Jesus, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Let me ask you this, verse 41. If you put your name where Martha's is, would this sentence remain true? Corey, Corey, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I think this sentence, as good as any, describes our culture. We are anxious and troubled and overwhelmed and worried about many things. And, and, and look at this. this is, what, is, what is Martha worried about? What is she doing here? She, she's serving Jesus. She's being hospitable to Jesus. Also commanded in Scripture, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Right? Be hospitable. She is doing what the Bible commands her to do. She's serving Jesus. Right? What's, what's the problem here? What's, what's going wrong? The problem is, is that being is more important than doing, and Mary has flipped those two things. She's prioritized doing for Jesus rather than being with Jesus, and Jesus is telling her it's not that doing is bad, it's that it is not most important. And he, she, he says, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What's that one thing? Look at your sister Mary. She's chosen the good portion, and it will never be taken away from her. She's chosen the better thing. What was Mary doing? Just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just being in his presence, just listening to his word. It's not that serving is bad. We actually see another story in John where Jesus shows back up at their house and Martha is again serving. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her because apparently she's learned the lesson. It's not that doing and serving is a bad thing, but if that does not leave us room to be and to commune with God, then we've flipped the order and it's only a matter of time before we burn out and we kill ourselves and our souls and also probably tear others down with us. Being is more important than doing. And Jesus says, Martha, you are distracted and preoccupied with doing more and more and more and more. And thus, you are crowding out the space to just be with me. And that matters most. Come on, tell me this doesn't just like grind against our Western American, I can do everything in my own strength mentality. Like, this is the type of lesson that, like, we're not going to, like, a radical Christian life is probably not risking our physical safety for Jesus here in America. A radical Christian life is putting aside 
the many even good things that we can do in order to have space for the best things. That is radical Christian living in this country, in this context. Not saying one is, is greater or worse, just saying that's where we are, is that we live in a world where we don't have to be dependent on God, so we think, and so we just do everything ourselves. And then we wonder, why am I worn down? Why am I anxious and troubled about many things? It's because I think that I can do everything and I don't be. And God's like, no, uh-uh, that's not gonna work well for you. And so here's my question for us today. This is not a tough concept, right? This, this makes sense. Do you believe the words that Jesus is saying? That is what it comes down to. Do you actually believe that being with him is more important than doing for him? Because let's be honest, he doesn't need us. He can do it without us. He wants us to abide in him, and that changes totally even how we do for him. He wants us to be with him. So we have to ask ourselves, when the rubber hits the road for us today, tomorrow, we don't have to go any further. It, it, it'll hit the road today or tomorrow at the latest. Do we believe what Jesus himself is telling us? Not that doing is bad, not that the pebbles or the sand is bad, but they aren't what matters most. Are we going to start with what matters most, which is being in a loving relationship with him. Everything else flows from that and flows in the right order. So how can we do this? I just want to give you two practical things because here's, here's what I truly believe. I, I believe we get this concept. I believe, I'm going to guess, the vast majority, if not every one of us would walk out and go, yeah, Jesus is probably telling us the truth. He's probably right. Now it's going to come down to, will we go and apply this into our lives? Like, don't, don't, like, let me just say that again, because you've all, we've all heard it. It really comes down to, will I go and apply this into my life? Will I believe that, that being with him is the most important? And then everything else follows from that. So how can we do that? I'll give you two practical things. One is a daily practice. One is a weekly practice daily wait with him be with him stop slow down be still and be in his presence not to do for him not to bring an agenda to the table just to be with him and to listen to what he has for us daily wait in the Lord. I mean, this is all over the scripture. Psalm 25, 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Psalm 38, 15, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Isaiah 40, 31, wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength. Jesus modeled this, right? You remember back in Mark where Jesus performs his miracles and all of a sudden there's the whole town is coming to his door, right? Like that is an instant megachurch, 
right? That's, that's us planting this church, and all of a sudden, the whole town of Austin is like, tell me more. We want more of this Jesus stuff, right? Like, success, right? That, that is the definition of success. I want to reach people for the kingdom. Oh my gosh, they're all here, right? Like, that's success. And so, Peter, first thing in the morning, right? People are at the door to meet with Jesus, and Peter can't find Jesus. Where was he? Before the sun even rose, he snuck away to spend time alone with God, with his Father, to be in communion with him. If you're going to handwrite the definition of Christian success, it is that setting. And yet still, Jesus goes, it is more important to commune with my Father than to do all of this good Christian work. That, that should revolutionize everything. It's a model of Jesus, and that is what we are called to do, is to wait, to spend time, to be in communion with him daily, regularly. And so here's, here's a plan. If you want to write things out, here's, here's a step-by-step plan for that. Number one, plan for it. Like, literally, put it on your calendar. If you don't, something else will fill the time. Again, 11 out of 10 times, something else will fill your time. And, and let's take Jesus at his word, which is, what is the most important thing that should fill our calendar? Being with him. Like, if we can't put that in our calendar first, if we think we're gonna, oh man, fill it in somewhere, fit, squeeze it in here, it might last for a day or two, but it will quickly fade away because the busyness of life, life will crowd it out. Plan for it. Mark it down. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same length of time, the same time every day, but find a time where you can stop and be still and listen and be with him. Plan for it. Number two, declutter and undistract your life. Like, don't bring your phone to the table with Jesus. Like I realize some of us read our Bibles on the phone. My encouragement, get a paper Bible. Because you know what doesn't hap happen with a paper Bible? Bing, notification. Bing, notification. Oh, let me just check that real fast. Like you're not gonna find your favorite apps in here. Right, so just leave it. Just leave it for a bit. It'll all be there. It's not going anywhere. Declutter, undistract your mind, right? Sit down. Be still. All right, Father, plan for it, get there and declutter and undistract your physical space and your mind. Start reading. This is not just a book. These are God's words given to us. It's him beginning a conversation. It's him beginning a conversation. So start reading. Start reading his words. If you're not sure what to read, Here's some suggestions. Uh, the Bible recap. Um, let's see, did you get that in time for me, Robert? I literally texted him here, so I'm not even sure I got the perfect. Um, it's on the YouVersion Bible app. It's also a podcast with a daily recap. Um, but I know a ton of people who are going through this, and it gives you a day-by-day -day plan. So this is what it will look like on the, the YouVersion app. When you go and search for it, you'll find this, right? So that's an option. Out, out at the, the kiosk, right? We got some new ones of these, these little uh, scripture journaling Bibles, right? They're individual books of the Bible. And, and you can just, you can read it and you can just 
continue the conversation over here with God. Why are you saying this? Why do you tell me that the truth will set you free? Where is there not truth in my life? How is that keeping me unfree? How are you the truth and you will set me free? Like we're having a conversation with God in the same way that we do with one another. So, so read it. The next thing is to listen and meditate on it. That's what we was just doing. To meditate is to chew on something, right? So if Carson tells me something, I, I process it, I chew on it, and then I respond to him. Right? That processing those words is meditating on it. It's understanding what he meant. Oh, I didn't think about that. So you want me to, right, and then it's responding. So we're, we're listening to God's word and his spirit in us. We're meditating on it. If someone tells me something and then I just move on, they know as well as I know, I didn't really listen to them. They said words, they came this way, I went that way. So we want to slow down and listen to God's words. Have a conversation with him. Meditate on it. What are you telling me here, God? What do you want us to do with this? Next one, expect to hear from him. I, I realize that one's a little less, it's a little more theory, but, but how many times if, if we sit down in a conversation and I ask you a question, I'm gonna, ex I'm gonna expect a response, right? You sit down with your boss, you, you start a dialogue, you're gonna expect to hear back. But so often I think we sit down and we, 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 we're praying and we're listening and we don't expect to hear from God. Right? It's, it's just this one directional thing and, and then we move on. But the spirit of the living God is in us and he wants to commune with us. He wants to dialogue with us. He wants us to hear his voice. So let's expect to hear from him. I think it'll blow our minds when we walk away. We're like, man, God was telling me this today. Like every single conversation because we can expect to hear from a God who speaks if we don't hear from God, I don't believe it's because God is not speaking. My guess is we've put some obstacles in between us. We've probably put some sin obstacles in between us hearing his voice. It's not that God has left. It's not that God doesn't speak. My guess is it's on our end. But expect to hear from him. And then finally, respond. Talk back. Have a dialogue. Like we, we just see this all the time in scripture where it's like, man, it just seems like they actually talked with God. And I think they did, and I think we can as well. So this is my encouragement, right? So, so daily time with God, right? Plan for it, declutter, undistract, read his word, listen and meditate on it, expect that he's gonna speak to you, and then talk back. And just practice this every single day. Every single day. Right? We can't control a lot of things. We can control if we do that in our life. We can control if we make time for this. Do you trust that, it's, that he's telling us the truth? Will you make time for it? The second thing is a weekly practice, and that is Sabbath. The word Sabbath means to stop and rest. It's a, we're going to say 24-hour time period because on the seventh day and as far as we understand a day to be is 24 hours on the seventh day God worked God worked God worked and he hit the seventh day and he sabbathed he rested and he enjoyed the life and the world that he created so God has commanded us to rest and enjoy the life he's given us crazy command right out of control Are you kidding me God 
Like, you want me to rest and to stop working and enjoy life? That's stupid. That's absurd, right? That is God's command to us. A, it reflects him. B, it's a, daily, it's a weekly 24-hour period where we stop working. We stop being in control of our own destiny and making things happen, and we trust that, oh my gosh, God's going to continue to move this world along. It increases dependence on him. And it's just a time where he wants to gift us with a life to enjoy. And so we stop. And you're going to have to prep for that. You're going to have to work for that. You're going to have to run errands and do things on the front end because as you know as well as I do, right, our Sabbath becomes full of the to-do list because we've had no time during the week to do it. It's a wild, radical way of living. It really is. To like work, to have a full time period where all we do is rest and enjoy time with God and the, the world and the life he's given us. What do you do on the Sabbath? You rest, you enjoy time with God, and you enjoy the life that he's created for you to, to live in and enjoy. That's what he did. He stopped, he rested, not because he was tired, but because he wanted to enjoy the life that was created. And so we make that time. This quote's also from the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. When we fight this work six days, Sabbath one day rhythm, then we go against the grain of the universe. And to quote the philosopher H.H. Farmer, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. That's a pretty smart quote. If the grain of the universe is to work six days and then rest, Sabbath the seventh, when we go against that rhythm, we get splinters. We're created to abide in him through a Sabbath. Recommend that being on Sundays. Why? Because the first objective of a Sabbath is to enjoy God. This time is created not to go to church, not to sing songs, not to feel good about ourselves, but to enjoy God. To, to be with him, to commune with him, to encounter him, to enjoy the presence of the living God. And so we just man, build that into our rhythm. It's okay if it goes an hour, two hours, whatever, and we just got time to enjoy God. I don't have my to-do list that I have to get to, and I get it. It is a radical way of living. Because the majority of the people around you don't live that way, and they're going to expect that you live according to their rhythm. Man, there's going to be some tension. So the question comes down, do we believe him? Like, that's just what it comes down to. I'm right in the same boat with you. Our Sabbath is Friday evening through Saturday evening. And we have to work to be able to Sabbath. Man, we don't get it right a lot of times. We're still working on that rhythm. Still a lot to figure out. But it is the order that God has given us to abide in him. So that's where we end it today. We're created to abide in him. That is the fullness of life. Everything, the, the, the pinnacle of what you are looking for in this world is found in a communing relationship with God. A loving relationship with him where we then love the world around us. We do that as we connect with Jesus. We remain with Jesus. The first question is, do you believe it and trust him? The second question I ask is, will you create the space 
unclutter your life of the thorns and just weeds that get in there and crowd out the soil to abide with Jesus and spend that time with him daily and then a weekly Sabbath. I believe and yet I will also admit that my life will probably demonstrate that I don't fully believe that he's telling the truth and it's worth it. So let's just take some steps and keep moving. Long obedience in the same direction. I I think we'll find him worth it. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.